1: Thank you for joining us for this special episode. And the only thing that's special about it is that it's related to a movie, which, even more than fairy tales, are kind of like a thing that I am about, is the movies. So we're going to be talking about Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which was recently released as a movie called Just... The Green Knight.
0: Yeah, the last time that we did a special episode for a movie release, it was when uh Disney was about to release the live-action Mulan. <laughs> and so we did an episode on the Ballad of Mulan, and then, like, COVID-19 happened, and the release of the movie was put off for, like, 10 months.
2: Uh, yeah. Or,
0: like, a year or something. I and, don't know.
1: It was a long time.
0: Yeah. And then we were like, should we revisit that so that it's relevant? And we were like, no. So this time what we did was we made sure that the movie was already released. <laughs> and Jeff, you a-
1: even recorded the episode.
0: <laughs> and Jeff, you actually went to see The Green Knight.
1: I did see the movie because here's the thing about it. I saw a trailer for this movie a long time ago and I was like, this is really cool. I'm glad they're doing a movie like this. Not knowing that it was based on anything. I thought it was just kind of like an original fantasy story but it was being done by a24 which is kind of like an arty kind of you know studio uh-huh. so i was like and it looked like a really interesting take on sort of like a medieval ish art house fantasy movie and i was like that seems really cool like as a fan of like lord of the rings and stuff like that and a fan of like kind of sometimes more arty farty films i was like that's a really cool combo that i want to see and then it was just like last week that i found out like oh yeah it's based on this You know, 14th century poem that was related to like Arthurian legend and all this stuff. And I was like, what? How did I not know that? But also cool thing was that one of the more well-known, more famous versions of this poem, as it turns out, was translated by J.R.R. Tolkien of lord of the rings fame so it was like i i was all in once i had heard all that information
0: yeah you're like oh this all seems to be coming together so what's funny is like so i saw the trailer and when i saw the trailer i was like so this is like an arthurian legend it didn't sound familiar to me Mm -hmm. i was i didn't know like a whole lot about it and so i was kind of like Huh, like I haven't read this one yet. I want to learn more about this. I want to familiarize myself with it. And so I went out and I found a copy of the story to read. And after I read it, I was like, wait, how are they going to turn this into a full length movie? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be really interested to see like how this got turned into a full length movie was like what I had thought. And uh-huh. then I was like, oh, this might be a good episode to kind of just touch on King Arthur because we really we haven't done anything with them yet and it's it's kind of like a massive genre of yeah um oh, yeah. history and national d- like defining storytelling
2: mm-hmm.
0: and we haven't like touched it yet so i had read it and i was like this is going to be as hard to turn into a movie as like the snow queen uh. and for kind of like the same Reasons in that this story was mostly like religious and philosophical in nature. And so, a yeah. lot of what goes on and like the ending are about like examining questions about the self and what it means to wrestle with like doing the right thing and being a human being in the 14th century. Yeah. And I was like, how, hmm, how's that going to be turned into a movie in like 2021?
1: It is interesting. And it was interesting seeing the movie and then reading the poem. Because it's interesting in broad strokes how faithful it is. But it's also very interesting what they did to change it in some of the ways that you're alluding to. Which I don't want to get to right now because you won't really understand if you don't know the story. So,
0: And we'll have a spoiler alert for the movie probably after I retell this story. But after I retell the story also spoiler alerts. Uh, yeah,
1: and and you're not getting a spoiler alert for the story because it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old.
0: <laughs> yeah. So
1: if you haven't read it by now then it's just like
0: Yeah, it was sitting there for 600 years on the shelf waiting for you to like give it a give it a go and so yeah, if, like, if you haven't found time for it yet then, you know, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> and also what's really great about examining the story of like where the movie comes from, I hope maybe other people aren't this much of like a dork, but for me, <laughs> one of the things that's, that makes a movie like even better is when you know the backstory. So you can be looking for those like differences and similarities to see like how the, me- like what the message was supposed to be when it was yeah. written and what the, like the new materials message is supposed to be now.
1: Yeah. Which speaking of it was really interesting. I, when I went to go see the movie, I invited a buddy of mine to come with me, and he is an avid listener of the podcast, like listens to every episode. And uh, a couple of funny things were, I invited him to go see the movie, and he was like, he didn't know anything about it. And he was like, I'm all in. And then I told him kind of what it was, and he was like, oh, I thought it was a superhero movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's- but then he's like, but I'm still in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's what's funny is that uh, uh, some of the reviews for the movie that I was reading were um were saying that like some of the audience, they thought not really realizing like the studio that it came out of and kind yeah. of what to expect. They saw the trailer and thought that this was going to be kind of like another Lord of the Rings movie, like a, an, yeah. an action movie that takes place in like the medieval times. And they were like really pumped for that. And then when this one was a little more psychological and philosophical, they were like, what did I just watch? Yeah. (laughs) Which jokes, jokes on them.
1: The other thing more related to what you were talking about was when we got out of the movie, one of the first things he said was, you know, how on the podcast, you talk about how sometimes you can understand and enjoy the story more when you have more information about the culture or the other surrounding legends He's like, I feel like that is something that would have been a lot more helpful going into this movie. And I was like, I 100% agree because there was a lot of things. You're like, I know this means something and is significant, but I have no idea what is going
2: on.
0: Well, now I'm excited because hopefully I'm about to add some context to some of that stuff. So if people haven't gone to see the movie or if they already seen the movie and they're thinking, do I want To read this so that I know. No, you're not. I mean, I think you should read it, but this maybe will help you understand like the original story better and the culture and then we'll get more from like what you saw.
1: Yeah. And knowing both now, this is my recommendation to you. I would recommend reading it first and then going to see the movie because again, one of the ways that they made it into a two hour movie is they added stuff. So, oh, they would have had to, <laughs> yeah. So, I you know, like, so even though you have had the broad strokes of the story spoiled for you, there will still be surprises rather than going into reading the book and wondering, like, when is this thing going to come up and be like, oh, it doesn't ever, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. pleasant surprises will, will show themselves. So, oh, nice. My recommendation read the book, then go see the movie. And then probably read the book and see the movie again. That's the only way you're going to understand either of them, I have a feeling.
0: <laughs> I'm excited. So before we get into the story, we all know that I love to give uh, quick history lessons.
1: <laughs> history. History. I. It's a little bit of a stretch to say quick there, Katrina. But okay, <laughs> yes. A history lesson.
0: Oh, like I'm about to give just a very, very like down and dirty, almost like like negligent uh, history of Europe.
1: (laughs) Which our lawyers have advised us against, but we have, in this rare instance, ignored their counsel and are (laughs) going to proceed anyway.
0: Like, no, do you know how people love European history? (laughs) Down and dirty. (laughs) Um. (laughs) But anyway, so hopefully it'll give some context to go along with the story. So I want to preface this by saying that we will talk way more in the future about King Arthur, and the legends and stories and how they intermingle with the history of Europe is basically like a full college course. Yeah. And so this episode truly is not even going to scratch the surface on any of that. Um so really quickly, Arthurian legends, King Arthur is a legend. And we know from talking about the differences between myths and legends and fairy tales that legendary figures are based off of real people. So when I say that King Arthur is a legend, that's a really loaded statement.
1: Yeah, because I was going to say there is much debate about whether he's a real person, whether he's even based on real people, whether he's a composite of multiple actual yes. figures.
0: So I'm saying that. There's a possibility that there was a real King Arthur or a person whose name was similar to King Arthur that legendary stories grew from. Whether or not any of the stories that we have about him are anywhere close to being anything real is very, very much up for debate.
1: One thing that we can all agree on is that if there were a real King Arthur... A moistened tart did not lob a scimitar at him to make him the king of England.
0: Yes, we can say that with almost complete certainty.
1: Sorry, I w- it was not worth cutting you off in that very good role that you were on for that <laughs> stupid joke.
0: No, you're fine. I feel like a lot of the times while I was like doing the research on this, I kept thinking of like just Monty Python.
1: Yeah. I mean
0: lot. like a lot.
1: I realized that 90% of what I know about King Arthur comes from Monty Python and I was like, "Wow, actually that means that I know nothing about
0: King Arthur." Yeah, I actually I the whole time I was like, "I need to go back and watch Monty Python again because I watched it with a boyfriend who was just like horrified that I'd made it to adulthood without seeing Monty Python." And so, I watched mm. it and I was like, "I don't feel like I can appreciate any of this." Anyway, so if King Arthur was a real person, he is supposed to have been alive during the Dark Ages. Historians don't like the term the Dark Ages, uh, but this was a period of time when we just don't have a lot of records of what was going on um, in Europe between about 470 AD to like 1000 AD. And again, this is a very rough European history, but basically the Roman Empire had fallen. And this was a period of, like, constantly reshaping countries, boundaries, who was where. There was the Angles, the Saxons, the Jutes, and the Frisians. And they were coming into this, like, power vacuum. And these Romano-Brits, the Roman Britons, uh, they really couldn't defend themselves, (laughs) Uh, and it it was there it was a lot it was bad uh not a great time to be alive in europe just a ton of war back and forth so king arthur was supposed to be a great leader who was alive during this time and it was like an incredible leader that helped the roman britons fight off some of the invading angles and saxons um and this story though started to circulate a lot after Geoffrey of monmouth published in 1136 a.d his history of the kings of britain
1: which just as a side note here want to point out Geoffrey of Monmouth spells his name G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. Yes. And I'm pointing that out for every single person that tries to tell me that I spell my name wrong when <laughs> it was spelled this way before it was ever spelled with a J.
0: Settle down, G-off.
1: Anyway, continue.
0: <laughs> no problem, G-off. <laughs> but in the history of the kings of Britain, that was written for like, political reasons and to also kind of backdate the power that the current king at the time had if that makes any sense he Mm. he wrote that down to kind of make it sound like the king who was currently in power had basically like a divine authority to be there and he could trace that at that authority all the way back to King Arthur. Gotcha. So what historians know is that before the time period that King Arthur was supposed to have been alive, there really wasn't any record of the name Arthur or, uh, even like derivatives like of it. But then suddenly in records, people, especially rulers were naming their firstborn sons. Arthur. And there's other speculative evidence of someone named Arthur being a great and important ruler. But how much of the stories of King Arthur are based on anything even close to reality is up for debate. So again, that's a very, very rough cut of the beginnings of Arthurian legends. The stories about him spread throughout Europe. And there are kind of like different sets of tales in different regions around Europe. Some of the more famous ones are actually French (laughs) stories about King Arthur. But all of this is to kind of place the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and all the Aetherian legends in this time period. So, you know, when they were kind of supposed to be happening, like when the action is supposed to be taking place. So Sir Gawain and the Green Knight was written in the late 14th century. So a little quote from J.R.R. Tolkien in his translation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight says Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and Pearl, which is a different poem are both contained in the same unique manuscript, which is now in the British Museum. Neither poem is given a title. Together with them are two other poems, also titleless, which are now known as Purity, or could be translated to Cleanness, and Patience. All four are in the same handwriting, which is dated in round figures about 1400. Mm. So these works are not found anywhere else. They are just in this one uh, manuscript. And you might think to yourself, well, that makes sense because of how long ago it was. But there are manuscripts of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales that still exist from the same time period. And they have about, I think I read last 80, about 80 copies of those. Wow. So it actually is noteworthy that there's only one manuscript with these works in it. Some people have speculated that maybe this was an author who wrote these down and that they never were widely published. They were never put out. It was something that was like a personal project. And others have speculated that it just was not that popular because it used an older style of writing that was already starting to go out of fashion for poetry. So there's a lot of mystery that's actually surrounding this poem. And Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is not currently a massively well-known poem, but scholars who study have noted that this is one of the finest pieces of writing that was ever produced in medieval England. And so like scholars Mm -hmm. of medieval English writing are in love with this poem and what is contained inside of it.
1: Yeah. And I think too, I was surprised when I read it, I read, you know, Tolkien's translation of it and it was really good and like really beautiful. One of the things I thought was cool was Tolkien made great efforts to maintain like the meter and like alliteration as well Yes. um, in his translation, which also is why he includes still like probably the middle English words for a lot of things or kind of more obscure words that you need to look up and have to find. But it like is really actually one beautiful, but it is even just like the themes and the story. It's really surprisingly accessible in ways. It's like I've read like Canterbury Tales and stuff like that. And it's like Canterbury Tales is not anywhere near as accessible as as Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And so you'll be hearing us say that we read a translation, which might be interesting to hear because it's like, wait, wasn't this poem written in English? (laughs) So it was written in middle English. And I cannot read middle English. Uh, Nobody is a native speaker anymore of middle English. Um one time I had said that to somebody and they were confused. They thought they were like, "Oh, no, Middle English doesn't bother me because like I've read Shakespeare and like the King James Bible." <laughs> and I'm like, "Those are modern English. That and, is the
1: same English that we speak, <laughs> believe it or not." Yeah,
0: it's it's early it's early modern English, but it's still modern English. And so yeah, Middle English is It's a different language.
1: And only occasionally, I remember I was at something at, you know, a university and someone was doing a reading and they did a reading of a poem in Mm -hmm. both middle English and then in modern English. And sometimes you can, there are like certain phrases where you're like, wow, I actually understand what you're saying right there. It sounds a little funky, but I understand it. But most of it sounds like it could be Dutch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so if I'm pretty positive, if people want to hear what like Middle English sounds like, I'm pretty positive that there are YouTube videos. If you Google uh, the Canterbury Tales, Middle English, because Chaucer's Canterbury Tales written about the same time, it was also written in Middle English. And so there are translations of that. Beowulf, for reference, was written in Old English. So that's even farther removed. I'm pretty sure that uh, if you look up Beowulf Old English on YouTube, you can also hear somebody reading that. But yeah, it's like people who have gotten advanced degrees can translate Middle English and Old English. And they really get so deep, like into the like language and study that to understand the language, they basically have to do all of this like extra study about everything else kind of going on around that time to get like a full picture of like what everything means. Mm -hmm. So this poem is made up of 253 lines that are broken into 101 alliterative stanzas. So all of those end with a little rhyming section that's actually called a bob and wheel. I'm definitely going to read out some of those as we're like going along so you can get an idea of what like an alliterative stanza is and how the bob and wheel works in there. For me, when I don't get people giving me examples for what they're saying, I'm like, I, these are just words garbledina like
1: i will never recognize what a bobbin wheel is yeah if it hits me in the face unless you show me right now and associated with that term
0: (laughs) and so i'm definitely gonna show you but the alliterative stanzas and the bobbin wheel those are what people had kind of gone out of fashion in like writing at the time is why some scholars wonder if like oh maybe people didn't like it because it was using this like older style of poetry when people had kind of started to like move on away from wanting to hear stuff like that. So here's another quote from J.R.R. Tolkien. He says, But all this care and formal construction serves also to make the tale a better vehicle of the moral which the author has imposed on his antique material. He has redrawn, according to his own faith, his ideal of knighthood, making it Christian knighthood. Hmm. So, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien was talking about how this man who was writing in the 14th century was taking some of these characters that had been circulating for a couple hundred years and stories about them and even motifs outside of these Arthurian legends. And he was kind of redrawing them to change the story of knighthood courtly love into something that spoke more about Christianity and a Christian knighthood. And so whoever this author was, had some strong feelings about what he thought, like a good person, especially a good man and a good knight should be. Okay. So last couple of things that I want you to know about are some common motifs. So usually in folk tales and fairy tales that seem to like trip us up and weird us out the most are the like motifs that mm-hmm. were common to see in stories back in the day. And so they do something weird and then no one says anything about it being weird. They just are like, yep, as you do. <laughs> and um, so the three motifs that I want people to know about like ahead of time are number one, King Arthur stories on high feast days, expect the unexpected before they can eat. Usually right as they're about to like sit down to start a feast, there's a joust around a random person will appear, a contest of like wills, something will happen. A woman will walk in and say, my sister is being held captive by... another night and she needs your help. And then they'll send the kitchen boy. Who's really Arthur's nephew in disguise. It's fine on high feast days (laughs) in King Arthur's court. When they sit down to eat, you can just expect the unexpected. So the second motif, it is what's commonly referred to as a beheading game, you know, just a game where people (laughs) challenge each other to a good beheading. (laughs) it's don't worry about it it's fine it's it was the
1: russian roulette of the time
0: so this is like a story motif that just it it functions separately in other stories outside of the rest of anything else but it's a story motif that wasn't unheard of and then the third motif is what's called an exchange of winnings where two people promise that whatever they get they will exchange. So sometimes there's a scene when somebody is like, "Oh, can I have like a drink of water?" and they're like, "As long as you give me the first thing that greets you on your way home." And them thinking it'll be a servant are like, "Oh yeah, no problem." But then it's there oldest daughter who runs out and they're like no but i promised you to an ogre in the woods so yeah an exchange (laughs) of winnings where it's two people without really knowing what they're promising to exchange promise to exchange it again common story motif
1: which is a fun and adventurous way to live your life
0: yeah I
2: guess.
1: But I'm glad you told me about that, too, because that is in um, The Witcher on Netflix. There's something that happens like that. So it's like, obviously, it was taking that motif and then bringing it into a modern thing. And it makes sense in the story as well. It's just, it, I didn't know that that was a thing. And oh, now yeah. I do, and I am feel like my life is enriched for it.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad. That's kind of the point of the podcast. <laughs> So obviously something we talk a ton about on the podcast is how authors will take existing motifs and then combine them together to make something completely new. And that is what is kind of the genius of this poem that scholars love diving into and looking at is how this author who is unknown is obviously a very accomplished writer but it's something for us to keep in mind as we're like listening so that when we all recognize those motifs and we'll be like, oh, that's not weird. That's totally an acceptable thing for somebody to do at a Christmas party. <laughs> and on that note, let me begin the tale. Yes. So it is Christmas time in the Hall of King Arthur. There, it's kind of in the middle of Yule time, which is... Uh, A time that kind of spans the new year and Yule, there's always something like pagany, something creepy that happens around Yule, ghosts, fairy folk, kind of a deal. But what's happening in King Arthur's kingdom is they are having a New Year's party and it is a high feast day. All of the biggest names of Arthurian legends are there. You've got King Arthur, you've got Guinevere, you have Lancelot, and there's Gawain, who is actually King Arthur's nephew. So they are all sitting at the round table, about to sit down for a feast, and on high feast days, food doesn't happen until something unusual and unexpected happens and sure enough on this day boom the doors bang open and this huge massive man sitting on a horse chest as giant and massive enter into the hall and everybody kind of falls silent because they're looking at this stranger who looks kind of odd On account of because he is entirely green (laughs) and his horse is entirely green, which I thought was very interesting that it wasn't just that this man, this massive man was green. It was also his horse that was green. And another thing that's interesting to note is that in the story,
1: his horse and his green little armor and his greenest skin and everything was green for him and himself. Uh not everybody it was just him
0: every horsey around <laughs> this is a good, good song. Woo. um, what's interesting is in the story, if you're reading it 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 just kind of goes piece by piece, describing like his hair was green, his beard was green, his skin was green, his uh that he was wearing were green, the horse, and what the horse had on was all green, the horse's mane was green, but nowhere in there. Does it say that this man looked like a tree? Right. But the green man, which is a a formal name, the green man in Celtic traditions is a tree looking figure.
2: Ah.
0: And I thought that was interesting in the ad that I saw for the movie because they chose to go with making... Tree man. Making tree man. Yeah. Which was a totally valid call like on their part. Like that's a good decision to go with.
1: I feel like if they had just had a regular guy that was just in green makeup, it would have looked very oh, yeah,
0: no to a modern so.
1: sensibility. Like when you're reading about it and you're like, oh my gosh, like just all green. Like it makes sense to hear in a story and to that be like, oh wow, that is really creepy. But then to actually see it with your own eyes, it's like, okay, now that's just silly.
0: Yes, exactly. Like I, I, Arti- artistically, I thought that like, it was a smart move to go with making him look like a tree man, especially because there is that Celtic tradition Yeah, of that to be there.
1: And that's the thing that I didn't know, which is good. And this is the type of thing that is good to know going into the movie of like, why is it a tree man? And it's because the green man is a thing, which is cool. Cool that they did it, and it's a good choice for the movie, but also cool because it relates to something that's part of larger folklore.
0: Yeah, like a deeper mythology. Yeah. In the movie, did they make the horse green? I can't remember. I don't think so. I like that you whispered that.
1: (laughs) I can't remember. I don't think so. I think it was just him, and he was like a tree. Because the other thing, too, is like he's not necessarily like all green either i mean he is but he looks like a tree so he's kind of like brown and green and whatever but his clothes are green yeah i think
0: so here's a good example of the bob and wheel at the end of the stanza it says and all his features followed his fashion so gay and mode for at the hue men gaped aghast in his face and form that showed as a fey man fell he passed and green all over glowed." And so they kind of say, you know, he looks like he's a fae. He's like one of the fae, a fairy folk person.
1: Which may be a little bit of foreshadowing. (laughs) I mean, as if the fact that he was green wasn't hint enough that there was something different going on about this guy. (laughs) Yeah,
0: And again, Yule Time is a time when they expect to see ghosts and fairy folk and all this, you know, kind of spectacular stuff inside of uh, like mythological stories and legends. Um, but yeah, so all of these people were just, you know, in shock at this man that had walked in, a green horse great and thick, a stallion stiff to quell, in broidered bridle quick, he matched his master well. So it was like, green man, green horse. Everybody's like, what in the world? But when they looked at what this guy was holding in his hands, he was just holding a massive axe. um Not like a battle axe, just like a workman's axe and a sprig of holly berries. Mm. So he had this like holly branch and berries, which is one of the only green things that's like out that time of year.
2: And he was
1: really getting into the season preparing to deck the halls of King Arthur's court.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which is something Um, I
1: thought was interesting, too, about him being like a tree man in the movie, just with the whole thing about Yule and like why we have Christmas trees and why bring holly in is because that's like something that they would do back in the day to like bring green into your home to remind yourself that the earth is alive and not just this barren hellscape of wintry snow that life still exists and goes on.
0: And the green man in Celtic tradition is a man of like a reminder of earth's fertility and continued renewal. And so it's kind of this little like springtime at Yule, this promise of greater things to come, which is interesting. So they're looking at this man and he's got, you know, this massive ax that he's holding and this like basically a symbol of like peace and that he's not coming in to attack anybody. So he gets up in front of everybody and he basically says, King Arthur, I have come to your court because I know that all of the men here are brave and strong and true. And I have a little challenge to see how brave and strong and true the men that you have are. And so I have a little a challenge for them. And King Arthur's, you know, sitting there, you know, full of swagger. And he's like, all right, what's your challenge? And he was like, I have come to your court to see if anybody is brave enough to get up and chop off my head. (laughs) And they're all looking at this like big, massive man kind of like, what in the world? And he's like, you can see, this is a quote, he says, you may believe by this branch that I am bearing here that I pass as one in peace, no peril seeking. And so he's saying like, I just want somebody to behead me. I'm not here to fight. I just want to know if one of you is brave enough to behead me. And if one of you is brave enough to behead me, you will receive this axe. The only catch is, that whoever beheads me, he needs to let me do the same to him a year from now. Which, if we're all listening closely to that, <laughs> seems a bit ridiculous. Because, and this, I feel like this is science. If you chop off a person's head a year from now, they probably will not be able to chop off your head.
1: Yeah. So it's like if you because agree to of this, their being just- dead better do a good job because if you miss and they survive, like you're going to get it.
0: Yeah. But, but, but it's you can also, go I'm in like, with
1: some pretty good confidence that like, okay, I think I'm going to be safe.
0: Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, this is a bit of a thinker. This is like, wait, what? But also since this is King Arthur's court and weird stuff happens all the time, especially on feast days, weird, spectacular stuff. This man who obviously is not human. They kind of don't really know what the catch is. They're like, "Yeah, what What could this be? Even though, yeah, it makes sense that like, I'm pretty positive if I chop your head off today in a year from now, I'll, I'm going to be fine.
1: Because no one like kind of like jumps up right away either. No. There's just kind of like no. a pause of like, uh.
0: Yeah, that's what it was. Like everybody just sat there and was like, uh, mm, no like nobody said anything they just sat there and you know this jolly green giant was kind of (laughs) like like oh i'm sorry i thought i was in king arthur's court where all these brave (laughs) knights were supposed to be i thought there were a bunch of brave people that were here so here's a little example of some of the alliterative stanzas and this is a quote from the green knight he says what is this Arthur's house? said he thereupon, the rumor of which runs through realms unnumbered. Where now is your haughtiness and your high conquest, your fierceness and fell mood, and your fine boasting? Now are the rebels and the royalty of the round table overwhelmed by a word by one man spoken, for all blench now abashed ere a blow is offered. Mm. And it says, then he laughed so loud that their lord, uh, King Arthur was angered, and he got up and he was like, Okay, fine, I'll fight you. Because King Arthur was not gonna sit there in his court watching his knights get mocked for you know their cowardice. And so it says, Then the lordly man loftily alighted on foot. There's that alliterativeness for everybody. <laughs> um, so Arthur grabs the axe and he is starting to you know get his stance ready he's gonna hit somebody and then it says from beside the queen gawain was sitting next to lady guinevere he suddenly you know decides and his his stated reason for what he does next is that he doesn't want King Arthur to have to be the one to do this, that he is willing to put himself on the line. So he says, I implore with prayer plain that this match should now be mine. So Sir Gawain gets up and he walks over to King Arthur holding the axe. And he says, I am the weakest. I am aware and in wit feeblest and the least lost. If I live not, if one would learn the truth. Only because you are my uncle is honor given me. Save your blood in my body. I boast of no virtue. And since this affair is so foolish that it nowise befits you, and I have requested it first, accord it then to me. And so what he's basically saying is, hey, I feel like the only reason I'm in your court and and I have such a good position, you know, I'm up at the, the table sitting next to Queen Guinevere, but only because I'm your nephew. And everybody here looks at me like maybe I shouldn't be here. And I need to prove myself, prove why I'm worthy to sit at this table. And if I'm a loss, then it's not a big deal. Let me be the one that, you know, takes this challenger on. And so King Arthur hands the axe to his nephew, Sir Gawain. So the green giant. He like lowers his head down so that his green hair is like hanging onto the floor and his neck is fully exposed. He's not putting up a fight, he's not there to do anything except get his head chopped off. So Sir Gowan, he wanting to show that he like means business with this green giant, he asks him, Oh, hey, so next year, when you will have to chop my head off, like when this this blow is returned. That sounds messed up. (laughs) (laughs) So next year, when it's your turn to, you know, chop my head off, where can I find you? And the Green Knight was basically like, oh, I'll tell you after you chop my head off, which, again, that's (laughs) hilarious. (laughs) that it's just like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you where you can find me (laughs) next year after you chop my head off. We'll take care of that business after you cut my head off. And you know, Sir Gowan was like, okay, sounds good to me. And the green knight lowers his head and his hair is like flowing onto the floor and his neck is completely bare And Sir Gowan, he lifts up the axe as high as he can, and he drops it down as swiftly and cleanly as he can, and it hits the neck of the Green Knight, and it goes all the way through. The head rolls off. It goes, like, down the court. People's feet, it's knocking into, like, people's feet. I don't know whether they were kicking it or what, but it was knocking (laughs) around. Like, just grotesque blood coming out of the body of... Uh, This green knight and everybody is kind of, you know, shrieking. It's disgusting. It's madness. And the green knight, he sits up and he walks over to his head and he lifts it up by the hair and he like holds it next to himself. <laughs> and the head of the green knight says, basically... Sir Gowan, I'm so pleased that I found somebody here who was brave and willing to take part in this challenge. And in a year and a day, the day after New Year's, you can find me at the Green Chapel. And if you don't know where that is, that's fine. Head out on a journey. Ask around. I'm sure you'll find me. (laughs) And he climbs up on his horse. And rides out of the hall into the night like a headless horseman. <laughs> which I do think it's funny how many times like Dulahan and other just like yeah. <laughs> headless riders keep popping up in in these stories. Same region. His head by the hair and his hand holding. That's some good alliteration right there. Yeah. His trunk, he twisted round that gruesome body that bled, and many fear then found as soon as his speech was sped. Dang, That's some good writing. So King Arthur kind of turns to his wife at this point, who I guess must have looked slightly uh queasy and alarmed and <laughs> totally like grossed out, and he said. Dear lady, today be not downcast at all. Such cunning play well becomes the Christmas tide. <laughs> And then he turns to Sir Gowen and he says, like, hang up your axe, sir. Come and feast with us now. You've really proven yourself well tonight. And so... That was, so
1: that was one of my favorite quotes of the whole thing, though, that I marked myself. Because he says, come, hang up thine axe, sir. It is hewn now enough. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> all right, you've done enough cutting with that axe. Go put it away and let's have some fun. It was like, oh, you think... <laughs> It's like, King Arthur's just like so lighthearted and jovial about this whole thing.
0: Yeah, he's just like, like, well, that was crazy. Come on, let's eat. And everyone's like laughing, having a good time. Um, And quickly, everybody did kind of settle into feasting because they had about a year. Even Sir Gawain had about a year until he needed to feel nervous about anything.
1: (laughs) He's like, and I'm going to make the best of this year because my head's getting chopped off and I'm pretty sure that I will not be picking it up and walking out with it when that is done.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Since that is not normally what people do. And then what comes next? Like some very, very beautiful writing about how like, the seasons change and it it really has no bearing on the story it's just very beautiful
1: yeah and it's one of those times where you're reading this and you're like okay i now i see why tolkien was such a huge fan cuz he did the exact same thing like
0: <laughs> when he'd be like and let's talk about nature for 30 fall. pages now yeah, yeah. um but ma- basically it it moves the story in like one stanza through a whole entire year when it says, And so this yule passed over in the year after, and severally the seasons ensued in their turn. After Christmas there came the crabbed lenten, that with fish tries the flesh and with food more meager, but then the weather in the world makes war on the winter. Cold creeps into the earth, clouds are uplifted, shining rain is shed and showers that all warm fall on the fair turf. Flowers there open of grounds and of groves green in the raiment. Birds are busy a building and bravely are singing for sweetness of the soft summer that soon will be on the way. And blossoms bergen and blow in hedgerows bright and gay. Then glorious musics go through the woods in proud array. It's so gorgeous. It is just absolutely lovely. But all of this was to say.
1: One year later. (laughs)
0: that's all they needed was just like (laughs) (laughs) one year later but um uh it is just absolutely like gorgeous writing it is just very very beautiful i'm all geeked out for it so sir gowan stayed with king arthur and the other knights until all hallows so you know now we're about november 1st it's getting close to the new year and. He kind of says to the group, all right, it's about time that I go looking for this green chapel. I have to live up to what I said. I said that I was going to do it and I would be a coward if I were to stay here with all of you. And so I'm going to go. And so they all just celebrated what a brave man he was. They drank and ate in his honor and they outfitted him in, you know, full armor got him ready to go. But basically they were getting him ready to go to die because if he didn't, if he came back alive, that would mean that he didn't get beheaded. Right. And that he was a coward and he backed out. Right. So they all basically knew he was going to die because this wasn't a situation of a man going into a battle where they could be like, Oh no, you'll get him. You'll defeat him. He was, Gonna get his head chopped off. That's- yeah, the
1: rules of the game where I sit there and let you chop my head off and you do the same for me. Unfortunately, I have magic on my side and you do not. But hey, a yeah. deal's a deal. Shame on you for accepting.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, they basically were like, you're doing a very brave thing. You're honoring the agreement that you made. You're very brave. They outfitted him and sent him on his way alone. So he went out into the world, a knight from King Arthur's court, dressed up, ready to do battle, or not do battle. Dressed up, ready, (laughs) you know, dressed as a knight, but not going into battle. But one of the things that he was carrying that is definitely worth noting... Then they brought him his blazon that was of brilliant gulls, with the pentacle depicted in pure hue of gold. By the baldric he caught it, and about his neck cast it, right well and worthy it went with the knight. And why the pentacle is proper to that prince so noble I intend now to tell you, though it may tarry my story which this author really had no problem with tarrying his story, (laughs) let me tell you. He's like, I'm like, don't listen to this guy. He's like trying to say like, I know I'm slowing down the story. He's as bad as me. So (laughs) (laughs) it is a sign that Solomon once set on a time to betoke troth as it is entitled to do. For it is a figure that in it five points holdeth and each line overlaps and is linked with another and every way it is endless and the english i hear everywhere name it the endless knot so it suits well this knight and his unsullied arms forever faithful in five points and five times under each gawain as good was acknowledged and as gold refined devoid of every vice and with virtues adorned so there the pentacle painted new he on shield and coat did wear as one of word most true and knight of bearing fair and it goes on to talk about how like you know the five points on this pentacle are representative of Christ and the wounds that he received on the cross two on his hands two on his feet one at his side um and this is a symbol that is like very, very meaningful. And people who have listened to our thousand and one nights, uh tale will definitely mm-hmm. notice the reference to Solomon.
1: Yeah. King that Solomon. was like, Oh my gosh. I'd never heard of this whole ring of Solomon thing. And then all of a sudden it's popping up everywhere.
0: Yeah. Like it's everywhere. So the symbol of what is on it is actually very like hotly contested. Uh, across like the religions yeah but that five-pointed star is uh what christians consider to be that like symbol for solomon and so on this shield that's what the knight is carrying and it kind of just it's symbolic of like his christianity his christian goodness his christian virtues and how like that will win out like over everything else. This is a very important part to the author. Yeah. That he was like really pushing through and it even says that like on the other side of his shield he had the image of Mary, Mother of God, holding Jesus. Um and so, you know, this the, his whole shield was just this piece of artwork devoted to like Christianity, the Virgin Mary. And uh, yeah, so just a very important piece of his armory that is important to the author and the message he's trying to get through. But it actually is tarrying our story a little longer. Because <laughs> as previously stated, he does not need his shield for what he's about to do, which is get killed. Um, so he got onto his horse, fully outfitted, and he kind of rode off. And I do think that it's funny that, like, as he rode off, as he was leaving, the knights who were standing there watching him, like, right off, they said, Before God, 'tis a shame that thou, Lord, must be lost, who art in life so noble.' To meet his match among men, Mary, tis not easy. To behave with more heed would have behooved one of sense, and that dear Lord a Duke to have made, illustrious leader of liegemen in this land as befits him, and that would better have been than to be butchered to death, beheaded by an elvish man for an arrogant vaunt, And I'm like, what? They're saying like, oh, if he had had more sense, this wouldn't be happening to him. And I'm like, okay, King Arthur was about to do it, right? Yeah. And so it's ridiculous to me that as he's writing off, they're like, oh, if he had had more sense, he wouldn't have done that. When I'm like, no, 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 no. Both that guy and King Arthur were rising to that challenge of like, oh, I double dog dare you. I thought you guys were brave. (laughs)
1: The thing about that that's so interesting, too, and this is not an original thought to me. This is something that Tolkien says in the book. Um, that I have it has like a lecture that he gave about the poem as well he talks about how kind of it was foolish of King Arthur to rise to that challenge and Gawain kind of did a sensible thing in saying like um this is the king if he dies the repercussions of that are going to be felt a lot more than if like I die who like I honestly feel kind of just like I'm on the court because of nepotism anyway. Like, I'm not that great. I'm not really that cool. I haven't really done any great adventures or anything. Like, I'll do it because if he does it and it's a trick, like we all suspect it probably is, like, we're in trouble. But if I die, it doesn't matter. So he's kind of like sacrificing himself. And Tolkien, a very staunch Catholic himself, really latched onto the the christianity in the poem as well i think another reason why he was very drawn to it yeah and talking about again like all those comparisons of christ the pentacle the five things and and relating that to christianity and to christ and stuff like that it's like he is also in a very christian way sacrificing himself for the greater good much like christ yeah So shame on those knights.
0: Yeah, for like making fun of him. But so one thing that they are pointing out when they're talking about that, which might surprise people who probably, when they think of King Arthur and his court and the knights' names that they know, probably a lot of people don't know Sir Gawain. Lancelot, probably the first one people think (laughs) of if they're naming people. Merlin only pops up in reference in this story. He's not a knight, he's a magician. (laughs) So, it might surprise people like to be hearing this and having, you know, these people who are saying like, "Man, he could have been somebody. He was so great and he was so amazing." And so, I want people to know that about this time, the French stories had become very, very popular, and especially Lancelot was the knight that was kind of talked about in like the French tradition of King Arthur stories. And so, this was actually a time when in England, There had been some pushback uh, where they wanted their stories back and they wanted to be kind of like in control of like the knights. And so there were a bunch of stories of Sir Gawain that were starting to pop up, like the rise of Gawain, nephew of Arthur. There's also the wedding of Sir Gawain, which if people read the wedding of Sir Gawain and they know anything about Canterbury Tales, they will be very surprised because... The wedding of Sir Gawain contains the story of the wife of Beth. Mm. Where Sir Gawain ends up marrying ugly woman who later becomes beautiful when he gives her what all women want. The ability to choose for themselves. And so, yeah, Sir Gawain actually at this time was rising in popularity of a a knight to write more stories about. And so that's why he's kind of highlighted in this story, because in the English tradition of stories, he was a more popular knight than Lancelot was. But we digress. This next part is really very interesting, because in uh, stuff I've read about the movie, this is a part that gets greatly expanded when it is one stanza <laughs> of the entire poem where basically you hear about Sir Gowan. He's on his journey, he's looking for where he's going, um, asking around to people if they know where the green chapel is. And as he's walking around out in the wilderness, wandering, looking for this green chapel that he needs to find, uh, so that he can prove that he's not like a coward and a liar, he meets many a marvel in the mountains. <laughs> So while he's like out in these mountains, it says at wiles with worms, he wars and with wolves also at wiles with wood trolls that wandered in the crags and with bulls and with bears and boars too at times and with ogres that hounded him from the heights of the fells. Had he not been stalwart and staunch and steadfast in God, he doubtless would have died and death had met often for though war wearied him much the winter was worse (laughs) so there's all this stuff that he's going past these like worms that are limbless dragons and wolves and wood trolls and so it's like ogres so there's a bunch of stuff that's like out in the woods that he's like battling and all of that stuff is just contained in like one stanza of the whole poem. And it kind of ends that stanza by being like, and if all of that wasn't bad enough, it was also winter and it was cold outside.
1: (laughs) Which was actually worse.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what it says. Listen, that's how I feel when I am in a cold climate in the winter time. If it is snowing outside, it's, Worse than dragons and wood trolls and ogres. Oh, my. Um, so, (laughs) So I feel for the man. If all that battling wasn't enough, he's also, like, near frozen. And so, you know, he just keeps going day in and day out. And he prays, I beseech thee, O Lord and Mary, who is the mildest mother most dear, for some harbor where with honor I might hear the mass and thy matins tomorrow. This meekly I ask, and thereto promptly I pray with pater and ave and creed. So he, you know, gives this prayer, like, please let me find somewhere warm that I can go to mass, like that I can go to church. He just wants to be somewhere warm. He's been out in the wilderness wandering almost two months now. Um, because it's getting he left like November 1st. He left on all all mm-hmm. hallows. It's getting close to the time of New Year's when he's supposed to meet this guy and he's just like frozen and cold and miserable. And so after he says that prayer, he basically gets into view of a castle and he's like oh my goodness (laughs) thank goodness oh my goodness like i'm so happy and so he comes over and he sees like you know a person who's like working there and he was like oh sir come here i have like a message for you can you tell the high lord of this house that there is a knight here from king arthur's kingdom and that i i need aid i need help And the servant was immediately like, oh, my goodness, yes. I will definitely pass that note on to my lord because they're all super. They're like a knight from King Arthur's court. This is amazing. (laughs) Like what an honor for us, like Uh... personally. And so he like runs and tells the the lord of the house like, like, hey, there's this knight here who needs some place to sleep. And the Lord of the House comes out and he's like, Oh my goodness, we're so excited that you're here. It's getting close to Christmas Day. A lot of people are gonna be here for the celebration and stuff. You must stay. You have to stay. Please stay with us for this Christmas holiday. And Sir Gowan is like, Oh yes, please. I uh, like it. I'm so miserable, I'm so cold, it's so awful. Thank you so much. And so, you know, the lord of this uh, castle, he's feeling honored that he has a knight from King Arthur's round table here with all of his guests for Christmas. It's like a big treat for them. And so for like three days, it's just nonstop partying, feasting church for christmas they're celebrating like the lord and there are a couple people who are in this building who've kind of caught the eye of sir gowan that he's noticed they're two women one of them is a very attractive very hot woman it's the lady of the house she is so gorgeous And standing next to her, pretty much always, is a nasty, gross, old woman. (laughs) They basically were like, the woman next to her was made more disgusting by the fact that she was standing next to such a beautiful woman. I'm like, wow, guys. Very classy.
1: Or it could be kind of the other way around. Like, she's made more beautiful by the fact that she's always standing next to this, like, old hag. Kind of like how they say you should, you know, at least one of your pictures on your Tinder profile should be with like one of your friends that's not as good looking as you are. Like, that's (laughs) what she's doing. She's like, I'm always going to stand next to this lady so that by comparison, I look just amazing.
0: Yeah, she's with the old woman being like, oh, let me help you walk. But really what she's doing is she's like, oh, my gosh, look how gorgeous I am.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She was ahead of the game.
0: Yeah, she was. She was was thinking. By
1: hundreds of years.
0: So yeah, here's another example of bob and wheel. They're like in the middle of talking about, um, like comparing these two women. Um, her two eyes and her nose and her naked lips and those were hideous to behold and horribly bleared. That a worthy dame she was may well, for God be said short body and thick waist with bulging buttocks spread more delicious to the taste was the one she by her led. And it's like, Oh, I imagine she'd be more delicious to the taste next to short body, thick waist, bulging buttocks spread. I'm like, Hey, settle down. Okay. I'm pretty
1: sure that last little section is just like rap lyrics. Is it not? I swear I've heard that on the radio.
0: I mean, I'm a little bit like, please don't describe me like (laughs) this. Like, hey, hey, rude. So both this beautiful woman and this old crone were like very excited to have Sir Gowan there. And they were just like. Oh, wow! We're really honored to like have you at our feast. We're really excited to see you and Sir Gowan was like, and to be in the presence of two fine women such as you, I feel truly honored. You know, he was very good at making ladies feel good about themselves, you know, you know he's the kind of guy that would have walked up to the pair of them and been like, "Are you sisters?" <laughs> it's like, bro <laughs> Who are you kidding? Um, but anyway. These ladies were, you know, happy to have this guy there. And they all spent kind of a, a fun little holiday there for three days together. And at the end of the three days, all the other guests were leaving the the Lord's house and heading out on their way. And Sir Gowan was like, well, yeah, that's I should probably also be be heading out. And the Lord of the house came over to him and he was like, well, well, where are you headed? Where are you, where are you going off to in such a hurry? You don't have to go. Yeah, I, should,
1: uh, to? I, I should be beheading out to, uh, to uh, <laughs> my own beheading.
0: <laughs> Gotta get on the road there. be heading out. <laughs> 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 oh, that was a good one, Jeff. I appreciated that. <laughs> so yeah, the Lord of the House. That's even funnier, knowing what's going to happen later in the story. So Sir Gowan was like, I'm sorry, this was wonderful. You were a wonderful host. I really enjoyed my time here. I'm so glad that I came. It was wonderful. Thank you for doing this for me. I actually have some pretty serious business that I've got to get taken care of. I uh, have to meet up with somebody at the Green Chapel. And I don't know where it is or how far away it is from here, but I I have to keep looking for it. I have to keep finding it because I have to get there by a specific date. I have to get there by um, New Year's Day. And the Lord of the House was like, oh, buddy, the Green Chapel is just like two miles from here. It, (laughs) It is like, you know, like half a day slow on horseback. You don't have to leave today. Here, you should stay with us for the next three days. And then, you know, the morning of New Year's Day, you can go off to the Green Chapel for the thing that you need to take care of. No problem. You're totally fine. And Sir Gowan was like, oh, my goodness. Thanks so much. I I have been through some really terrible times. It would actually be really great if I was able to stay here with you. And so the Lord of the house was like, this is fantastic. And you know what? You have had such like a rough go of it. Like in the woods, you're probably exhausted. You're super tired. I was just planning the next three days of, you know, going on hunts with some of my friends. And you know what? You should stay here and rest. I think, you know, you'll be good company. My my wife and this old lady that are living with us, who they never really state their relationship of like this old lady and why she was there. But he's like, Oh, you know, they, they'll still be in the house. They'll be good company for you. You know, while you're resting. And how about, Hey, let's strike up a deal. Since you don't get to go on the hunt. Cause you're like resting. How about I promise everything that I get on the hunt, I'll give to you. And then anything that you're able to snag, Well, you know, you're here. You'll give to me, which is basically just a way of saying, hey, let fortune fall how it may, even though I know, you know, you're not going to be doing anything, but I want to give you these gifts. But we'll say it's a gentleman's agreement. That way you're not indebted to me. Mm -hmm. Whatever you get during the day, you'll give to me and whatever I catch out hunting, I'll give to you. And Sir Gowan was like, you know, that sounds fine to me. I love making uh, these exchanges (laughs) without clearly understanding the point of the game. (laughs) It's my favorite thing to do. Um, So he agrees that like, yeah, that sounds great. I'll stay here and rest. You have gotten hunting. Yeah, whatever, whatever we both catch, we'll do swapsies at the end of the day. And they're like, great, that sounds wonderful. So another great night of feasting, hanging out more time spent with the lovely lady at the house at dinner time and even afterwards for drinks it was everybody having so much fun and then with the customs of france and many courtly phrases they stood in sweet debate and soft words bandied and lovingly they kissed their leave-taking with trusty attendants and torches gleaming they were brought at the last to their bed so soft one and all Yet ere to bed they came, he the bargain did oft call he knew how to play a game, the old governor of that hall I'm like mm, foreshadowing
2: <laughs>
0: so the next morning, early, the Lord and all of his you know men woke up, got the horses ready, got all their provisions, their hounds. They were going to go out. They wanted to hunt for some deer, and so they go out. And it says, "Thus, in his game, the Lord goes under greenwood eaves, and Gawain the bold lays in goodly bed." And so, you know, the the poem itself it's interesting because the hunt. There's a stanza of the hunt, like in the morning. And then it goes back to the castle, talk what's going on in the castle, and then it, you know, finishes up the hunt. Just so you know how that's kind of, like, nestled in there. Yeah. I'm not totally going to keep following that, even though it's, uh, it's one of the most notedly incredible parts of this poem, is mm. the way that the author has, like, nested this story inside of that. It's very artfully done, like... Very noteworthy, unique, and beautiful. And I'm going to skip right over it. So So you'll have to
1: read to see it for yourself if you want to.
0: Yep. So anyway, everybody is out of the house now. The house is quiet. Sir Gowan is resting quietly. And then he hears the door of his room open up. And he's like, what was that? Is somebody trying to come in my room? So he peeks around the curtain that's around his bed. And he looks over at the door and... The lady of the house has like crept into the room and she's like closing the door behind her. And he was like, oh, what in the world? So he like lays himself back down and pretends to be sleeping (laughs) because he's like, I don't know what what is she doing in here? What is she like about to do? So she comes over to his bed and she like pulls aside the curtain. And she like sits down on his bed and he's laying there. This is like so comical to me. He's just like laying there (laughs) pretending to like be sleeping, being like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And she just sits there for a really long time until (laughs) he just kind of starts to like open his eyes and be like, oh, it says, then rousing, he rolled over and round to her turning. He lifted his eyelids with a look as of wonder. (laughs) <laughs> and signed him with the cross. So he <laughs> he's like, oh, mamma mia. Uh, like, what's about to happen? So this lady, oh, my goodness. She's like, good morning, Sir Gawain," said that gracious lady. You are a careless sleeper if one can creep on you so. Now quickly you are caught. If we cannot to terms, I shall bind you in your bed, you may be assured. I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, ma'am, excuse me, what? He's like, um, good morning to your grace. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, so funny. And he's like, oh, yeah, but if you would, Lady Gracious, then leave, grant me, and release your prisoner and pray him to rise. I shall abandon this bed and better array me. The more pleasant would it prove than to parley with you. So he's basically like... Oh yeah, that's like so funny. Yeah. You could have crept up on me and tied me to my bed. That's a really funny joke you told, but anyway, what you, what you should probably do is leave um, and I'll get dressed and then I'll come out and we can, you know, talk and hang out and stuff, but not right now because right now I'm in my bed and undressed and you shouldn't be in here. And this lady, uh, Just kind of kept pressing her up. She kept being like, oh, no. And she was making it more and more obvious. And she was like, oh, no. You know, we're totally fine. My husband and everybody else in the house, they're actually gone. They're out doing that hunt thing. So it's just you and me. We're alone in the whole house. So it's fine. (laughs) And he's like, it's not fine. Um, (laughs) That is not something that I am interested in. And I'm like, she's being so... Clear of what she wants. And right here you now are, and we all by ourselves. My husband and his huntsmen far hence have ridden. Other men are abed, and my maids also. The door closed and caught with a clasp that is strong. And since I have in this house one that all delight in, my time to account I will turn, while for talk I chance have still. To my body will you welcome be of delight to take your fill, for need constraineth me to serve you, and I will. She wasn't being uh... subtle. She was being very clear.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And so basically, Sir Gowan was like, um, no, I can't do that. I am not gonna do that. Your husband's let me into his house, like, welcomed me in here. I I don't feel comfortable with that, like at all, in the slightest. And she's like, Oh, I had heard such things about knights of King Arthur's court. <laughs> of of courtly love of of what you men stand for and what you want and i thought that you were going to show me what a knight really is and he was like oh yeah so that's gonna be a no for me bro i would not like that at all and she was like well maybe you should you know give me something and they agreed to have a little kiss I don't know where it doesn't say I'm assuming the lips. It might be the cheeks. I don't know. So they exchanged a kiss and then she left. And Sir Gowan was basically like, oh, Lord, help me from this woman. So then what's interesting is like he got up, he got dressed, he went out, he hung out the rest of the day with that lady and the old lady They had a pretty good time. It sounds like things were a little tense, but he, you know, tried to keep things light. So then you kind of go back to the hunt. They're hunting for deer. Very cool. Very beautiful. It's actually not very cool. Very beautiful. They give explicit descriptions of the field dressing.
1: I recall (laughs) very clearly them talking about like, we're chopping up this and we're taking out this part and yeah, yeah
0: it's like that part. Yeah, it's like very explicit and like descriptive of like them field dressing this deer and several deer. So when they get back from the hunt, the lord of the house is like, oh, wow, we had such a great hunt. We were really successful. Come and look at like how delicious and fatty some of these deer are. They're really excellent deer. So Sir Gowan comes out and he's looking at it. He's like, wow, those really are beautiful, amazing deer. Like you did a great job. And the Lord was like, and they're all yours. They're all for you. Remember that little bargain that we made last night? Anything that I get, I give to you. Anything that you get during the day, you can exchange with me. And Sir Gawain was like, yeah, I've got, I got something for you. And the Lord of the house was like, oh yeah, what? And Sir Gawain embraces him and gives him a kiss. And the Lord of the house was like, oh, whoa. Where'd you get that kiss from? (laughs) He's like, good for you. You know, you went out hunting and you got you got a little something today. Good for you. Where did you get that from? And Sir Gowan was like, oh, so, yeah, that wasn't part of the deal. I told you that I would give you what I got during the day, but I don't have to say where I got it from. And the Lord of the House laughed, and he was like, oh, yeah, you got me there. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sir Gawain, you dog. <laughs> and Sir Gawain's like, yeah, I'm awful. Um, <laughs> so the next day, the Lord goes out hunting again. This time, they're going out for boar, an even harder animal to catch, a more formidable opponent to catch. And sure enough, right after they leave, So again, she sneaks into his room in the morning, passes by the curtain and is like peeping at Sir Gowan. And Sir Gowan's like, oh, hey, see you again. And she's like, yeah, it's me again. So I was wondering, you know, you are so refined and so attractive and you should want to hook up with a woman like me. And he was like, N- no, like, it's okay. And she's like, no, 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 you totally could, you know, get with me. And he's like, yeah, but I yeah, I don't really want to. And she's like, ma Fay, said the fair woman, you may not be refused. You are stout enough to constrain one by strength, if you like, if any were so ill-bred as to answer you nay. So she's like. She's like, no woman, you know, would say no to you. I mean, if they did, you could just hold them down and do what you want with them. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, no. He's like, indeed, by God, quote Gawain, you graciously speak, but force finds no favor among the folk where I dwell and any gift not given gladly and freely. I am at your call and command to kiss when you please. You may receive as you desire and cease as you think in place. So he's like, (laughs) um, no, I In Camelot, We have
1: this thing called consent that we (laughs) abide by.
0: (laughs) She's like, you should totally like tie me down and just have your way with me. And he's like, "Mm, no, do you know what's, you know what's sexy is consent. And I'm not giving mine. Um, (laughs) i would learn from you lord the lady then said "You would not mind my asking what is the meaning of this that one so young as you in years and so gay by renown so well known for knighthood and breeding while of all chivalry the choice the chief thing to praise is the loyal practice of love very lore of knighthood for talking of the toils that these true knights suffer it is the title and contents and text of their works How lovers of their true love their lives have imperiled, have endured for their dear one dolorous trials, until avenges by their valor their adversaries past, they have brought bliss into her bower by their own brave virtues. What she's talking about there is the idea of courtly love, which is the idea that knights will do acts of bravery and valor to prove that they are worthy of even having a woman. Mm -hmm. And so what she's calling him on there is she is like, oh, if you were a real knight, you would be willing to like do great acts of valor for a woman. I want to see one of those great acts of valor that you'd be willing to do to a woman. So she's kind of doing the same thing that the green knight had done when he came into King Arthur's court and was saying, Like, hey, I thought you were knights. I thought you were going to do the things that knights were supposed to do. She's Mm -hmm. doing the same thing to him where she's like, if you're a knight, shouldn't you want to be, like, doing these knightly things? Shouldn't you want to be proving it? And he basically was like, no. (laughs) That he is like, you know what? I respect your husband so much for letting me stay here that I don't want to show that kind of knighthood to you and so he tells her basically i will give you a couple kisses and then we're done so they exchange two kisses and then she leaves and what's funny is they go to mass (laughs) and then they they hang out like the rest of the day so the lord of the house he comes back from the hunt and he's like come and look at this boar that i caught boars are Even though we don't consider them like predators, like in our minds, Mm. they are very dangerous to hunt. They are big. They are violent. They can mash you up in their mouth. They can bore you with their tusks. Like, they're scary. But he's like, look, I was able to defeat this big, scary thing. I fought valiantly like to get this thing and all of the people who had been on the hunt were like, yeah, the Lord of the house. He was really, really good at this hunt. He was so brave. He just like kept like trying at what he was doing. It was amazing. He was incredible. And Sir Gowan was like, wow, that's really great. That's good for you. This looks amazing. This meat's amazing. And the Lord of the house is like, oh yeah, here, it's yours because of our little deal. I'll give you what I got and you give me what you got. And Sir Gowan's like, okay, bro. (laughs) So he goes over and he embraces him and he gives him two kisses. And the Lord of the house is like, oh, two kisses today. Man, good for you, Sir Gowan, you dog. (laughs) And Sir Gowan's like, "Uh uh-huh, mm-hmm, yep, for sure. So day three, these things always come in threes. So the Lord of the house, he goes out on the hunt. And this time, they're hunting foxes, much clever, more wily opponents. And Sir Gowen is in the middle of having a bad dream of meeting up with the Green Knight and getting his head chopped off. I don't know why he's having this stress dream. (laughs) Probably because he's under a lot of pressure. (laughs) So he's in the middle of like having this stress dream and he wakes up to the sound of like his door opening and he's like, oh my gosh, it's like one bad dream to another bad dream. So he's just had this bad dream that he knows is going to take place in like a couple days of getting like beheaded. And now he's waking up and there's this lady there again. (laughs) And she once again is like, hey, I'm super horny. You should be super horny, too. And he's like, but I'm not. I'm not into you. I don't want you. And she, and this time,
1: isn't she like dressed, especially scantily? Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, you're right.
0: I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh gosh. I'm so sorry. But the lady in lovemaking had no liking to sleep. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 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 Woo. Nor to disappoint the purpose she had planned in her heart, but rising up swiftly his room now she sought, and a gay mantle that to the ground was measured and was fur-lined most firmly with fells well-trimmed, with no comely coif on her hair, only the clear jewels that were twined in her treasure by twenties in clusters, her noble face and her neck all naked were laid, her breast bare in front and at the back also. She came through the chamber door and closed it behind her. Wide set a window, and to wake him she called, thus greeting him gaily with her gracious words of cheer. (laughs) Amen! How canst thou sleep? The morning is so clear. He lay in darkness deep, but her call he then could hear. (laughs) 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 This poor bro! (laughs) Oh, man. It's like
1: who expected a poem from the 14th century to be so sexy? <laughs> but also for the guy to just be like,
0: oh, uh, what am I supposed to yeah, do? Yeah, to be like, please stop. Please stop. And so, yeah, he basically was like, oh, gosh, no, stop. You should not be in here naked. Like, dress like this. Please stop doing this to me. By St. John. <laughs> nay lover have i none and none will i have meanwhile i'm like (laughs) it's this poor man i just feel so bad because yeah that was another one he's like
1: having to say no so forcefully that he's like bringing the saints into it he's like no by the (laughs) saints i will not sleep with you woman
0: yeah how clear do i have to make this because she basically was like Like, oh, I get it. You obviously have more attractive women in your life, hotter women that you will give your favors to. And that's why you're refusing me because you have so many other sexy ladies in your life and you think that I'm disgusting and I'm garbage and you are insulting me by not wanting a piece of this. And he was like, oh my gosh, by St. John, (laughs) nay, lover, have I none and none will I have meanwhile. (laughs) It's just like- Please, I am. I'm. I'm not hooking up with a hotter woman. There's nobody that I find more attractive. Than you. You're very beautiful. You're lovely. I can't. It's inappropriate. Please stop. And she was like, "Fine, I guess." But kiss me now, kindly, and I will quickly depart. I may, but mourn while I live as one that much is in love. So sighing, she sank down, and sweetly she kissed him. So she kissed him like three times. And he's like, okay, cool, that's it. <laughs> and she's like, you know, if you, like, really cared about me, you would give me something of yours that, you know, just a little token, just like, you know, some little jewel, some little something that you, you know, have with you. You should give me, like, a little treasure. And he's like, I don't, I don't have any treasures. I came from Camelot with King Arthur With nothing, I have nothing like I came from them, like headed into my death, I I didn't bring bags with me, I didn't bring stuff, I don't have anything that like I can give you as like a token. And I'm sorry, because like, you are very lovely. And you mean a lot to me. And I would like it, you know, if you if you had some little token to remember me by, but you can't, because I don't have anything. And she was like, Oh, well, okay, I understand that. But then you should take something of mine to show the bond that we have with each other. And he was like, (laughs) ma'am, no, I don't want anything of yours. And she's like, no, 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 I have this ring on my finger. I can give it to you. It's made of red gold and there's a stone in it that shines like a star. And he's like, no, 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 I don't, I can't, I'm not going to take anything valuable that belongs to you. That would be wrong. I'm not going to take valuable stuff. From a lady such as you, like, that would be wrong. And she was like, okay, well, if you you won't take that, let me take off my girdle, which is a piece of underclothing (laughs) that she had on. And so she's like, I have my girdle tied around my waist. I can give that to you. And he was like, ma'am, no. (laughs) Do not give me your underclothes. Like, (laughs) I am not here for your underclothes. And she was like, oh, well, that's too bad. Because it's magical underclothes. And he's like, what? And she's like, yeah, whoever wears my girdle, harm can't befall them. There's, you know, no sword that could kill them or no axe that could chop off their head. You know, (laughs) for instance, if you take this, you know, you'll be safe forever because it's magic and he was like okay i will take your magic girdle (laughs) because obviously he was thinking about the nightmare that he had just had where he was getting his head chopped off like so he's like okay maybe i should take this magic girl so he's like okay in the
1: off chance that it is actually magical that's amazing and this could be great if it's not I get this lady off of my back and out of my yeah. room. <laughs> like
0: Yeah. And I can carry on with my day. And so she hands it over to him and he's like, thank you. And she's like, oh, one more thing. Don't tell my husband about this.
1: <laughs> don't tell my husband that I gave you my underwear.
0: Yeah. Don't,
1: <laughs> you know, no big deal, don't- but just, I wouldn't yeah. mention it.
0: Yeah. No big deal. Don't, don't say this to my husband for his honor. Hide it from my husband that this took place and Sir Gowan's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll, okay. I promise not to tell your husband that you gave me your magic girdle. Okay. Is that good enough? Will you leave? And she's like, yeah, thank you. Oh my gosh. So much. Our little, our little quiet secret that we have with each other. And he's like, okay, bye. So she leaves the room and he is just like, Oh my goodness. What do I do? It says he laid up the love lace that the lady had given hiding it, Heedfully where he after might find it. So he quickly hid her love lace. (laughs) Goodness gracious. And he was like, okay, whoo, now what do I do? So he had an awkward day indoors with the two ladies of the house while this fox hunt was going on outside. And little side note, I'm not gonna tarry on it too long. Reinard the fox, like the name Reinard. Uh, keeps popping up. This is a fox that we have not talked a ton about, but he does keep popping up for us like whenever I'm uh-huh. like, "Oh yeah, long history of fox stories and foxes being like clever and formidable and how sneaky they are." And so this word Reynard became synonymous with like a fox in most of Europe. Um so it's interesting cuz he pops up there as well. So, when the lord gets back to his castle, He is like oh sir gowan how was your day today and sir gowan was like it was it was great it was fine it was what it was and and the lord of the house is like yeah that's great look at this amazing beautiful fox that i caught isn't that the most incredible amazing fox you've like ever seen he's like yeah it's such a great fox it's absolutely gorgeous and the lord of the house was like great here let me give it to you and sir gowan's like okay thanks and he's like, did you get anything today? Sir Gowen's like, yeah, I got something. So he gives him a hug and he gives him three kisses. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we all know that he got something else, but he's trapped in between all of these promises that he's been being forced to keep for people
2: mm-hmm.
0: where he's being forced to exchange his winnings. He's being asked to keep secrets from a husband. He doesn't know what he needs to be doing to honor everybody that he needs to be honoring. Then he holds on to this girdle. Doesn't say anything. And don't worry, it's eating him up inside. (laughs) So (laughs) he's feeling real bad about it. So this is the last day they eat, they drink. The Lord of the House was like, I was so happy to have you in this house with me. It's been great having you here. And Sir Gowan's like, yeah, it's... Been a real treat for me as well. <laughs> just Sir Gowan, oh my gosh, this poor guy. He's just like, please stop. So the lord of the house is like, hey, so tomorrow morning I'm going to send you off with my servant. He's a really great guy, and he'll take you right to where the Green Chapel is, like, no problem. And, you know, safe travels, man. And Sir Gowan's like, yeah, (laughs) safe travels for sure. So the next morning he gets up and he's going out on this trip and he's got this guy's servant showing him the way. So as he's walking along with the servant, the servant is kind of like, hey, why do you want to go to the Green Chapel? It's horrible. It's like there is a giant green man that's there who is like a monster and anybody who ever goes down to the green chapel dies, gets murdered is like gone. And Sir Gowan was like, Oh geez. I, um, yeah, I have to, I have to battle that green giant down there. That's what I'm going to do because I was part of this exchange with him. And now I have to keep my end of the deal or else I'm a coward. And the servant was like, oh, no, 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 you like you don't have to go like here. Listen, listen, I'll tell people that you went, that you were super brave and that you like battled them and that you killed them and you got away and that you were like amazing. I'll keep the lie for you. You don't have to do this thing. And Sir Gowan was like, oh, man, that is super tempting, except that I could never live with myself if I did that. I could never live with myself. I was like, I was a coward. I couldn't do it. I'm going to go down and do it. And the servant was like, well, (laughs) you're a better man than I am. That's probably why you're a knight in King Arthur's court. You're incredible. And so they got to the Green Chapel. The servant was like, well, this is as far as I go. And Sir Gawain said goodbye to him. He headed off and he went down to the Green Chapel and he shouted out, Whoever the master of the house is here, let him come out and fight me. And there was this like big laughter, and the green man came out and he was like, Gowan, my man, may God keep thee. On my word, sir, I welcome thee with a will to my place. And thou hast timed thy travels as trusty men should. And thou hast forgotten not the engagement agreed on between us. Like, good for you, man. You showed up. I kind of wasn't expecting you to show up because, you know, I'm going to chop your head off. (laughs) And Gowan was like, no, I am a man of my word. I do what I'm going to do. I I follow through like that's just who I am. And the green man was like, well, man, good for you. That is awesome. I'm going to go grab my axe because I've got another one. You've got my old one still, right, man? And Sir Gowan's like, ha yeah. And he's like, it's fine. I have a bit even bigger one now. And Sir Gowan's like, that sounds great. So he goes and he gets his axe, and it is hideous and formidable and terrifying. And the green giant is like, All right, bend down. Show me your neck so I can like cut it clean off. And so Sir Gowan, he got down on his knees and he lowered his head so that his neck was exposed. And the green man raised up his axe. And he started bring it down and Sir Gowan flinched with fear about, you know, about to being hit by an axe and having his head chopped off. So uh, he I flinched. can't blame the guy. Yeah. <laughs> and the giant paused and he was like, did you just flinch? <laughs> <laughs> and Sir Gowan was like, what? And he was like, oh, I thought you were a brave knight. I thought you were a super brave knight. And just now when I was about to cut off your head, you like flinched. You for real flinched like hard. (laughs) (laughs) And Sir Gowan was like, no, okay. That, that was nothing. No, do it again. I'm not going to flinch. Swing the ax. Do it now. Go do it. I won't flinch. (laughs) And the green knight was like, okay, buddy. So he raised up his ax up high and he brought it down about to like hit Sir Gowan with it. Sir Gowan didn't flinch. He didn't move. He didn't do anything at all. He just like sat there. And the green giant was like, oh my gosh, that was good. That was really brave. You didn't flinch like at all. You should feel good about yourself for like how brave you were. Not flinching when I like almost hit you with the axe. And Sir Gowan was like, oh my gosh, just do it just chop off my head. Why are you doing this? And the giant was like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just messing with you. Okay, for real now. Okay, put your head down. Put your head down. Hold still. I'm going to do it for real. So Sir Gallen's like, okay. So he puts his head down and he's waiting for the blow and the green knight raises up his axe and he swings it down but he swings it down so that only the very tip edge of the axe brushed past Sir Gowan's neck and like nicked him so that he was bleeding. He was in pain, but he mm. had missed. And Sir Gowen pops up immediately after that happens. And he's like, OK, we're good. We're square. Uh, You know what? We said, you know, I gave you a swing. You give me a swing. We're even. We're even now. Right. And the green knight like starts laughing and he was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're good. We're good. I was just going to do the one before, but you flinched. And I, so I thought you were a coward, right? I thought you were a real weenie. I was just going to do that one anyway, because you're right. You know, it was you did it one stroke. I was going to have one stroke, but then like you flinched. So I was going to give you, you know, that second one and you didn't flinch. You were great. That was like amazing. But the the third one, the third one, I decided I did want to hurt you a little bit because, hey, (laughs) Sir Gawain, you lied to me. You said you were going to give me everything that you got while I was out hunting. And Sir Gawain's like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, when I was out hunting, you said you were going to give me everything that you got while I was out hunting. And you got those kisses from my wife and you gave those to me and that was really good of you. And Sir Gowan, it's dawning on him. He's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And the Green Knight's like, but uh, she gave you her girdle and you didn't give that back to me. Why didn't you give me that girdle? And Sir Gowan's like, oh, jeez, <laughs> what a mind <laughs> F like. You are totally like messing with me. Oh, my gosh. And he's like, it's because it's because she told you that that girdle was magic, huh? And uh, you were a little cowardly, right? You were a little cowardly. And you thought that you could get out of getting your head chopped off if you kept that girdle. And you didn't do what you were supposed to do, didn't you? And Sir Gowan is like, oh, my gosh, I am a coward. I am a huge, embarrassing coward. And the giant was like, no, (laughs) man, it's okay. Anybody in your situation would have done that. I mean, you were brave for showing up. You were brave for like, you know, coming across like the country and being attacked by all that stuff and still coming to the castle. You know, you were honest. You, I had told my wife to, to try to seduce you. And you didn't, you weren't seduced by her. That was great. Like you, you really are. You're a really virtuous guy. And Sir Gowan was like, no, I'm not. I kept that girdle. I am a coward. I am a awful knight. I'm an embarrassment to everybody I know. I am terrible. I am the worst. And the giant was like, what? No, bro. No, like it's fine. It was just (laughs) like, it was a joke. Like it was all a big joke. And Sir Gowan's like, what do, you, what, what do you mean it was all a big joke? And he was like, I mean, it wasn't even supposed to be you. And he was like, what, what? And he's like, you know that old lady back at my house? Yeah, that's your aunt. That was Morgan Le Fay. You know, that's your, your, your uncle's sister. It's your mom's, your mom's sister. And they were like, yeah, so we decided what we were going to do was we we're going to play a prank <laughs> on king arthur for christmas last year and so morgan she used magic to dress me up like a green knight and we were gonna scare queen guinevere so bad that maybe she would die and sir Gawain was like oh my gosh this is so messed up and i am a piece of garbage because i wanted to prove that i was a brave knight but i'm not a brave knight I stole that woman's underclothes cuz I thought they were magic. <laughs> I'm such an embarrassment. And the giant was like, "No, no, no. No, like it's fine. Like it's fine. You're a great guy. You're super great. Here. Come back. Come back to like my castle. It's fine. Your aunt wants to see you. We're all going to hang out with you. My wife's going to think it's a big laugh. We're all going to eat dinner tonight and joke about this cuz this was really funny." And Sir Gawain was like, it wasn't funny and I hate myself (laughs) and he got on his horse (laughs) and he rode back to Camelot. And when he got back to Camelot, everybody was like, Oh my gosh, we're so happy to see you here. You're amazing. You're incredible. We are so excited to see you. This is amazing. I'm so happy that you're here. What happened? Tell us everything. And so he got off his horse and he told them everything that happened. And he was like, I am a terrible knight. I don't deserve to be here. So all of the knights after they heard his story, they're like, no, you shouldn't be embarrassed. You shouldn't be embarrassed. You were brave. You did everything right. So what? You took this thing from like this woman. And Gowan was like, no, I'm going to take this girdle. And I'm going to wear this girdle on the outside of my clothes so that everybody can know what a failure and a fraud I am. Just like how weak and embarrassing I was. And all of the knights at the round table, they were like, you know what? No. No. If you're going to do that because you're so ashamed of yourself, we're all going to wear green girdles as a sign of how impressive we think you are as a knight. That's what we're going to do because we think that you were absolutely incredible and brave in what you did and we're going to stand up for you and in the story sir gowan never really forgives himself but all of the knights in the story thought that what he had done even though he was not perfect Even though he was not perfect in his exactness to all the promises that he ever made. Yeah, maybe he made a questionable decision at one point or another. But who hasn't ever? Mm -hmm. That's how they felt about it. And this story in the manuscript ends with a phrase in Middle French, not written by the author. On this old manuscript, right underneath the end of this poem, are written these words in French by another hand that says, evil be unto him who thinks evil of this. And so somebody, not the author, after reading this story, wrote that phrase, evil be unto him who thinks evil of this. Shame on the person who thinks that Sir Gawain did the wrong thing. And it's really interesting that it was a different person who wrote that down on there. And what's another thing that's very interesting is that this is the motto of the order of the garter. Hmm. That is a noble order of knights that still exists in England today.
1: Oh, my gosh. Another piece of underclothing like the girdle.
0: Yes. And so it's unknown whether the person who wrote that at the bottom of the manuscript was a person who was in the Order of the Garter, because the Order of the Garter was an order of knights that was already established when this story was written. Oh, wow. And they don't know whether the person who wrote that underneath this story on the manuscript was a member of the Order of the Garter, or whether the person who wrote the poem was actually a member of the Order of the Garter. Uh, interesting. Um, yeah, I'm like, ooh, so spooky, tingly. So, I am interested to hear some of the stuff. Comparing and contrasting the movie.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things that will come from comparing and contrasting with the movie. Because you kind of pointed this out before. One of the things that gets taken out of, uh, not completely, but quite a bit, is like the whole Christianity aspect of it. And I think the biggest thing, which accomplishes the same kind of point, like you talked about at the end where Gawain's like ashamed of himself, and you know, he's not perfect. He makes mistakes, but he still acted bravely. He still ended up doing this thing. In the movie, from the beginning, Gawain is not what anyone would think of as a knight. And actually, in fact, in the movie, he's not a knight. He wants to be, but he's not. But he is Arthur's nephew. But just as an example, the very first scene, he wakes up in a brothel the day of that feast and it's like his kind of like girlfriend who i i don't know if she's a prostitute she's definitely a commoner i don't know if she because yeah. she was in the brothel to wake him up it's like i don't know what deal with her was but anyway she wakes him up and he goes off and he's like stumbling home and his mom's there and she's like where have you been and he was like oh i was at mass all night and she's like oh yeah it smells like you were at mass all night because he's like still half drunk yeah and they kind of talk about how like He says something. He's like, "Oh well, I'm not a knight. Like I shouldn't even be there." And she's like, "Oh, you're not a knight yet." And he's going off to the feast, and he's like, "Mom, are you going to come?" And she's like, "Oh no, I'm going to stay home today." And he's like, "You love this feast? Why would you do that?" She's like, "I don't know. I'm just going to do it." So, which leads into another really interesting thing. That's a big difference. Is he's King Arthur's nephew still, but his mom actually is also Morgan Le Fay. I don't think they ever say that that's her name, but while he's at the feast she is off with some of her buddies and they perform a spell like, or some kind of ritual. And then that's kind of what summons the green knight. So it seems kind of like the, you were asking about what is the purpose of the green knight coming? If it wasn't supposed to be this prank to scare Guinevere to death. And it seems like the point is, you know, he's like, I'm not a knight. I haven't done anything to prove myself. So his mom had the green knight come so that he would have an opportunity to challenge the Green Knight, and then that would be what would let him to be granted his knighthood.
0: Yeah. Huh, but what's... Which was just so fascinating. Okay, but one thing that's so bizarre and interesting to me about that is that, like, we talked... I mentioned a little bit about courtly love. And... Yeah. And this woman basically being like, like, you should show me courtly love. This is a thing. And people have remarked that this story is actually about how so that idea of courtly love of fighting like going on these quests doing some big brave adventure thing Mm -hmm. was something you would do to prove to kind of a woman but mostly the court how brave you were how much of a man you were how like incredible you are and people have remarked that this story what it does is it turns it on its head to say that like Courtly love, we shouldn't be focusing on courtly love. we should be focusing on proving how good of a person you are to God, like if there's yeah. any woman that you should be impressing, it should be the Virgin Mary, uh-, uh-huh. and so that's really interesting that like in in that story, they're kind of like, oh yeah, he should his mom is trying to get him to go on like a quest to like prove that he's a knight, but it also kind of. Does a weird thing with like courtly love.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not really to courtly love at all. Well, it's just yeah, kind of like, I'm like sh- it's like she's helping him try to get his goal of becoming a knight. And he's kind of not, a, he's a, a, more of a normal person than any of yeah. these, you know, knights.
0: I guess what I was trying to point out there was that like, this story is very 14th century. Yeah. And it sounds like the story that was made is more... 2021 that like
1: definitely yeah
0: that it's more of like a theme that like we would be aware of and like want to see like this man prove that he is brave and worthy of being like a knight
1: yeah because again reiterating he's not a knight throughout the whole tale and that comes up a lot like he meets like kind of commoners along the way who are like hey knight hey knight and he's like i'm not a knight you know, like, you look like a knight. He's like, I know I look like a knight, but I'm not a knight. That's something that comes up a lot. And he's mm-hmm. definitely in the movie. And he's a very flawed character. He's very, he's just, he does seem a lot more like a normal guy. Where in the, the poem, he's he is very knightly. He has all these things, but yeah. he still makes mistakes. So the funny thing is, like, the story broadly stays the same as far as he gets, he takes on the challenge. I'm pretty sure he doesn't do it. He doesn't take like the axe from Arthur. I think Arthur maybe says something like, am I going to have to do this myself? And then that's when he goes up. But it's not like he's sacrificing himself for Arthur. He's kind of seeing the opportunity of like, okay, no one's going to do this. This might be my yeah. chance. It seems easy enough. you know. He's like, I just have to chop this guy's head off and I'll be fine. And even right before he's about to do it, King Arthur's like, hey, remember, this is just a game it's all going to be fine and he does it
0: dude okay so what's really interesting to me about that is that there is another arthurian legend where sir gawain's older brother he had first come to king arthur's court and king arthur was making him be a kitchen boy until he could yeah. you know kind of prove that he uh, could like be a knight and so nobody in the court knew that he was related to king arthur he was just like this like kitchen boy and a woman comes in and he's, she says, the red knight has taken over my sister's kingdom and she's trapped in a shower. Will any knight be brave enough to go? And no knight was brave enough to go except the kitchen boy. Mm. who. And it, then this tr- it turned into a quest for him to become right. actually a, a knight. knight that was worthy to be at King Arthur's table. So I'm like, that's yeah. interesting because it's like they're combining like... The story of the Green Knight and the story of the
1: Red Knight. And the Red Knight. Yeah.
0: I thought there was a, there's a Dr. Seuss book.
1: (laughs) Red Knight, Green Knight, Good Knight, Mean Knight. I don't know. (laughs) Another really interesting, and this is a small detail too, is like when I was reading the poem, it seemed like because he was King Arthur's nephew, Gawain was kind of his place was sitting up there like as family next to King Arthur. But they make kind of a big deal in the fact that he's not sitting with King Arthur. Gawain's not sitting with him. And King Arthur's like, Hey, come here. And they have this little conversation. He's like, Hey, you're my nephew. Like, I feel bad that I haven't let you come sit up by me. Like I should have made more of an effort to get to know you. I should have paid you more attention. Yeah. And then that's why he's sitting up near, king arthur and he's kind of uncomfortable with it because again he's like i'm not a knight i don't actually belong here yeah
0: like i don't deserve to sit up here with like everybody else
1: and one of the other things that is a big difference is in that exchanging of winnings scene at that manor there's a few things that are very different that add a whole different spin on it one is when he shows up there there's no one there but the lord the lo- the lady of the house and the crone. And yeah. she is super creepy in that she stays silent the entire time and she has like a blindfold over her face and she's just always sitting there silently and creepy. And she's not Morgana Le Fay, I don't think unless there's something I missed because again the movie is very strange and I'm not sure I followed everything. But you know, so The fact that there's only those three there, it's kind of weird because they live in this big manor, but you don't see anyone else. Oh, that's creepy. And also when they meet to exchange gifts the first time, Gawain doesn't... Well, first of all, Gawain isn't necessarily so like, no, I will not do this because I need to be good. He's just kind of like, I don't know what's happening here. And she kisses him and whatever. And when he goes to do the exchanging gifts, the the Lord of the house gives him the deer or whatever that he caught. And the Lord leans in and kisses Gawain. And he's like, I know what you got. So I'm just going to take it, which adds a creepiness level to it. Yeah. But he's also like super friendly and nice, but he's not like threatening. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, in, in, The poem, it's like, oh, who'd you get this from? There's plenty of ladies around. You're not going to tell me who. Oh, you lucky boy. But it's like, no, he knows that it was his wife and he's kind of like cool with it, sort of. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't think it was, you know, the old, old lady.
0: (laughs) He's like, you were kissing grandma, weren't you?
1: Yeah. And also like, oh, I missed this part earlier. There's a, there's a weird thing that happens that isn't really explained, but it's also actually his mom at the very beginning of the story that gives Gawain this green sash. And so he has the green sash, and when he's going off, he also has the green axe that he got from beheading the green knight. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that's added along the way that's not even mentioned in the story. Like, one thing is he... And it also shows that he's a normal person. He's not much of a knight. And he's kind of like a weakling almost. Yeah. Is he basically gets like mugged by these like kids in the woods and they tie him up and they take all of his stuff, including his shield, which has the pentacle and, you know, the painting of the Virgin Mary on the inside, which is one of the times they keep, you know, Christianity in it. Yeah. Um, But I can't remember if it's then or at another time, but like that shield also gets broken and they show it lying there, like with the picture of the Virgin Mary broken in half. Again, kind of like dismantling the whole relation to Christianity. Yeah. But they steal the axe. They steal the sash. They steal everything. And there's an interesting scene there too, which I think plays into sort of the theme that they go on in the movie as opposed to the poem where they leave him there tied up and the camera kind of pans around. And when it pans back to him, it's like he's a skeleton just tied up dead there. And then it keeps panning, and it comes back, and he's alive. He didn't really die, but I think it's kind of like a vision that he's imagining. Like, oh, I'm going to die here, just tied up in the woods. Which bringing in this whole theme of death, because he does not want to go and get beheaded. He's going to his inevitable death, and he is not as, you know, stoic about it as as Sir Gawain in the poem. Yeah. So, Along the way, he comes across a cabin after he's been robbed of all of his stuff that's abandoned. And he sleeps in the cabin. He gets woken up in the middle of the night by some strange woman. And he's like, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I thought this place was abandoned. And she's like, Oh, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to get my head. And she's there and she looks like she's a full and complete human. And he's like, Oh, you have your head. And she's like, No, I don't. Someone cut it off and threw it down into. This well over here, or this pond over here, I need you to get it and bring it back to me. So he goes, follows who he now is presuming a ghost to this pond, goes down in it, gets her head, brings it back. And it's like a skull. And he's like, that's freaky. Yeah. Goes back into the, the house, puts the skull back on what is now a skeleton lying in the bed that he was just sleeping in presumably of this person yeah and kind of like returns the skull to this body and it turns out that this is saint winifred which i was expecting the entire time to appear in the text and she does not at all so i had to look it up um and so saint winifred was basically a martyr i guess from what the seventh century it says and so her story was basically there was a guy that Wanted to marry her, and she decided that she was going to become a nun instead. So this guy kills her because he doesn't want her to become a nun.
0: Oh, men are the worst. And then
1: and then there's this whole thing <laughs> that, like, you know, there's this whole thing that springs up around it. And the interesting thing is she's got a well yeah. dedicated to her. And it's kind of like the whole thing around the well is if you go to the well and you— make a wish three times that that thing will be granted, Like a wish, like a prayer, you know, if you say a prayer three times, that thing's supposed to be granted to you or something like that, which I thought was an interesting thing to just add in here, but it has this whole thing again with skeleton death beheading. So it thematically does feel like it kind of fits. Yeah,
0: And it's the, it's also like the right time period for when the story of King Arthur is supposed to be going on.
1: Yeah. It's a recent, a recent happening. And so he returns the head and when he wakes up in the morning, the axe that was stolen by these kids in the woods is back. And then when he goes outside, there is a fox there and the fox kind of becomes a little bit of his sidekick for a bit and like follows him around everywhere. They go off, they walk through. And some of the things he talked about, like there's a scene where it doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but they're walking around and there are these like giants, these female giants that are bald walking around and... One of the giants tries to grab him, but the fox like nips at it. And so the giant's like, oh, no, not going to do that. Question, how would you know
0: they were female giants?
1: They were naked and they had breasts.
0: <laughs> I thought that was the answer, so I decided <laughs> to ask. Um, so. That was me hoping that was the answer.
1: <laughs> now that I've backtracked on that, the girdle, the sash, was also taken. But on that third day when... The lady of the house comes in to seduce him. She has the girdle. And he already knows because it's been given to him by his mother. And his mom told him, this will protect you. Like, you're going to be fine. Again, they showed like the whole ceremony for preparing it. And they like carved a rune and like hid it inside of the sash. Yeah. And we've seen that her magic works because it's what summoned the Green Knight. So this, so, this
0: girdle actually is magic. Yes. That's fascinating. So.
1: Yeah, and it's like, that's, you see the whole plan because she's like, I'll summon the green knight. He'll accept the challenge. Even though it's going to be a trick, he'll have this sash that he's wearing that will protect him and he won't actually die and he'll get to come back and be a knight and it'll be great. But the sash got stolen. But then the lady of that house comes back that third day and she's like, here, let me give you the sash. And she takes things a little further than kissing, like much further than just kissing. So, you know, so there's this whole thing too. And it's like, and he does not really protest as much. He gives in to her kind of easily, again, playing into his weakness. And the fact that that was something that he, you know, he was frequenting brothels before. This is kind of one of the, you know, like sins that he's want to participate in. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just interesting. Like the sash came back through this other woman. It's like never really explained how or why. And then. Yeah,
0: because the axe he earned back. By doing this kind deed for St. Winifred.
1: Yeah, so it's it's just kind of strange. And again, it was one of the things where I feel like I'm kind of missing something. So he goes to the Green Chapel after these exchanging of gifts. Same thing. He He does not give the lord of the house the sash. He kind of hides it and keeps it to himself. He also does not give him more than just a kiss. On that third occasion, like he got more than just a kiss. And then at the Green Chapel, it it occurs similarly. um, But there's also, and I don't know how to describe this, so I'm not really going to go into it because it's just kind of more of a feeling. But there's also this kind of like homoerotic feeling of the Lord of the House. Yeah. Because he's the one that kisses Gawain. Mm -hmm. There's this whole, and he like seems really friendly towards him. Like he kind of likes him. Like there's this kind of like homoerotic kind of like tension there between them. Yeah. But anyway, when Gawain gets to the Green Chapel... Things proceed pretty much how you had said, too. Like, the Green Knight's about to chop his head off. He flinches and is very, very afraid. And he's like, oh, dang it. And the Green Knight mocks him. And he's like, hey, man, we had a deal. So he gets ready again. And he's, like, just trying to psych himself up to let it happen. The Green Knight tries to chop him. He basically flinches again. And the Green Knight's, come on. Like, we got to do this. So he was not brave that second time. Yeah. And then... Before the third time, he gets ready and he has this vision, which you don't necessarily realize is like a vision or a dream or a thought until it's over. But he sees himself like the Green Knight basically swings. He doesn't die. He goes back and he sees like his life progressing like he has a child with that. Girlfriend that he had that was a commoner. But then he basically like steals the child away. He marries a noble woman. They have a son. His son dies in battle. He becomes just like a terrible king. And his castle's getting sieged. And so he just sees this vision of his life as like, I'm a weak person. I'm a bad person. Like if I don't die here, I'm going to go on to live a horrible life. And it's going to be bad for the world around me. Yeah. And so... Before he lets the Green Knight take the last swing, after he comes to out of that vision, he takes the green sash off and throws it to the side. And then he says that he's ready. So when the Green Knight sees that he's removed the sash, that's when the Green Knight's like impressed because that's when he knows that he has really, truly, courageously accepted his death. So the Green Knight then walks up to him and is like, you did so good you are very brave now off with your head and the green knight grazes his neck with his finger he says it like kind of playfully like now off with your head more like now get out of here rather than i'm going to cut your head off yeah and that's where the movie ends so it to me made the story so much more about yeah like this like coming to terms with your own death and like meeting your own death courageously and the fact that someone that is weak that is imperfect that is very flawed can still at times act bravely and courageously even though they make so many other mistakes
0: that is so interesting to me because like the whole point of the story of sir gowan and the green knight is to like hold a mirror a very harsh mirror up to yourself. And look at yourself. Mm -hmm. Because that's like what happens to Sir Gawain is he was put in like impossible situations, very hard situations. And told like, look at yourself. Are you good? How good do you have to be to be good? Good. And Sir Gawain, he's super harsh with himself in like the the first story of like, he won't accept anything except 100% perfection. Like from himself. Mm -hmm. And even though there was no way he could have kept all the promises to all the people that he was like promising stuff to. And all of the knights were like, no, you did the best with like what you could do. Yeah. We're all human. And there's no way that you can be like 100% perfect. And so like the story originally was just this story to ask ourselves, like how good is a good person? And it sounds like this movie was asking similar questions, yeah, but, but to an audience that has different values than totally. The audience that read this 14th century work. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like, you know, a modern author saw this old story and was like, "What changes can I make to this to make it be meaningful?" to an audience today. And so like, it's just crazy to me that it was like the exact, like the same story, but changed enough so that it could have the audience ask itself the appropriate questions in the time that the yeah. audience was like living.
1: Yeah, totally. It's telling the same story, getting to the same point, but the character is like completely the opposite almost. Yeah. Like, he's not a knight. He's not hard on himself because he thinks that he should be living this like higher standard, like he's pretty much the whole time like, "Yeah, I'm kind of a piece of garbage, but I really want to be a knight, you know, like he doesn't yeah. think that he's that brave, like but he does still at times do brave things, like going in to get Saint Winifred's head, and in the end, he finally accepts his death, you know, with courage
0: well, I mean, and what's, just- what's interesting is if he had kept if he had kept that scarf. magic scarf and lived he Mm -hmm. would not have been changed he wouldn't have proven even to himself that he was worth being a knight he had to prove to himself that he was worth being a knight and he wasn't ready to be a knight until he was ready to say i'm ready to be totally honest with accepting that this is going to happen to me yeah and after after he like proved like you know what if I'm gonna live and be a coward, that's no life to live. So let me die honorably, and that's when he proved that he was the kind of person who deserved to live. Yeah, because he could live honorably because he was ready to die honorably.
1: Yeah, it was just so fascinating, and like you said about the values of today being reflected. I think uh, to me it kind of spoke to just a lot of people I know, and I know I experienced this myself where. I am very aware that I am imperfect. And so, like, sometimes I'm like, man, I'm like, feel kind of like a piece of garbage. Like, why do I make all these mistakes? But seeing that someone can be like that and even be aware of themselves in that way, be like, man, I kind of suck sometimes, but then also still be able to do these heroic and courageous things is kind of like, this is something that we can aspire to rather than the other way where it's like, oh, and it's like this otherworldly level, like high good. And it's like, it's inspiring in the exact opposite way. It's like, even this really great brave knight is going to be a coward sometimes. And he's going to not know how to deal with temptation sometimes. And even this person who everyone holds up as being this like paragon of virtue, as they talk about for several stanzas when they're talking about (laughs) the pentacle and how that relates to Christ and how also, you know, Gawain is holding all those same values and virtues. Yeah. Like even this person makes mistakes, so it's okay that you make mistakes. And this is like the opposite way going up. It's yeah. like you're a flawed person, but flawed people can rise to greatness, rise to the occasion and do great things.
0: Oh man, I love how you put that because it was like I have people in my life who they hold themselves to an impossibly perfect standard where it's like you you cannot know everything and make every single good choice ever because like there nobody can do that you have to give yourself like a little bit of grace and space and and know that like life is complicated and you can't be perfect all the time but they hold themselves to like such a high standard and the people around them are saying like no you're wonderful you're like amazing and you shouldn't like beat yourself up for being human You should love yourself for like all the good things that you are. And so to me, it's funny because like I just I want to shake all the Sir Gowans in my life and be like, no, Mm -hmm. you're doing a great job. Like (laughs) you like there's no possible way you can be perfect all the time because life is complicated and there's nuance to it. And you're going to disappoint some people at the same time that you're trying to keep a higher promise to other people life is complex and you need to love yourself like no matter what. And so it is like the Sir Gowan in the story and the poem is a person that it's like, Oh, love yourself for a second. And it sounds like the Sir Gowan in the movie is learning that like, there's greatness inside of him. And I love like how you pointed out that it's like, they're kind of like teaching the same lesson, but coming at it from a different point of view. One where, to the audience he's a more relatable person right because we are all flawed and maybe not always putting forth like our best selves and we think like i'm never going to be worthy of being a knight being like venerated being a, a great member of society but it's like no you can you absolutely can you just like rise up from where you are and like, do the right things that you're supposed to do right now. So I really hope that people read a translation of this poem. And I definitely will recommend J.R.R. Tolkien. Obviously there are other ones that are available probably like through your library. Um, So yeah, if you want to, I highly recommend giving this poem a read through It is like a hidden gem. The language is gorgeous. And I love what this story, whether it sounds like, whether it's the movie or the poem, I love what this tale gets turned into to have people think about basically what kind of person they want to be. There's a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien in his essay before his translation that says, he, the mysterious author of this poem. He has left his hearers more or less to form their own views of the scale of their values and their relation to the governing values of sin and virtue. And I think absolutely this story, whether the movie or this poem that is over 600 years old, it, what it calls people to do is exactly that too look at themselves, the scale of their own values, and what their relationship is with their sins and virtues.
1: Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash the tellers Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inge for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible.
0: Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar. (laughs) I am babbling enthusiastically about stupidity. (laughs) I want that embroidered.